So our first week, we discussed forgiveness, and we talked about how God made a perfect world. God put this world together. God created and designed it so that it would be absolutely perfect. Adam and Eve lived in a world in which there was no conflict, no disease, no illness, no violence. Everything worked perfectly. This was the world that God designed for us. He created it. This is the world we were all supposed to live in. A world without any anger or jealousy or wrath or backbiting or anything wrong, nothing. That was the world God created. We, maybe not us personally at the exact moment, but Adam and Eve chose, instead of God's morality, to follow their own morality. We can decide what's right and wrong as well as God can. All we have to do is eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it will be ours. And after all, God wants us to be wise. And, you know, that was the lie that Eve bought. Adam, he didn't buy the lie. He knew that this was just flat-out rebellion, and he wanted to be able to be independent from God. So Adam ate, too. We might be hard on them, but... Okay, you can be hard on them, so stop sinning. You just stop sinning. And if you want to be hard on Adam and Eve, well, then don't sin yourself. And once you try that, particularly as you look at the scripture reading we just looked at, if we say we have no sin, uh, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The fact is we can't stop sinning. Through the power of the Spirit of God, we can work at getting closer to God, but our sin nature continues to reside within us. And if it had been us in the garden instead of Adam and Eve, I don't think we'd have done any better. So we've destroyed through our own selfishness, through our own self-will, through our own desire to do what we want to do. We have taken the perfect plan of God and the perfect will of God and not the sovereign will, but the perfect moral will of God and we've just destroyed it. We have violated God's moral will, like the one match that you light that burns down the whole forest. Last week, we talked about the fact that it is astounding that God is even willing to forgive us. We're sinners. We are people who have violated the will of God. We are people who deliberately look at what God wants us to do, and we do something else. We defy God. And yet, God loves sinners. Praise God he does, by the way, because that's us. We are sinners. And God loves us. In fact, God loves us so much that he sent his own son. Sin cannot just be passed over. Sin must be paid for. Things must be reconciled. The world must be put back. And God is going to do that. But he's not going to simply do that by waving a magic wand, as it were. Sin is going to be paid for. Jesus died to redeem. And it redeems the world. It redeems the creation. And it redeems anyone who will come to God and ask. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, If you will come to repentance, if anyone listening will come to repentance, if we've come to repentance, God forgives us. Not because it's free. It costs God a whole lot. It's free to us. We believe, and God attributes it to us, the righteousness of Christ, but only through his death. So now we come to the final issue here in forgiveness, which is the question of, okay, so having been forgiven, now what? And of course, let me read the passage. It happened back in Luke 11. 
verse 1, that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, all right, when you pray, pray like this. And once more, let us emphasize, this is not a prayer to memorize and to just say over and over. This is a model. This is structure. This is an outline. Pray, pray like this. Uh, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So, along with God's forgiveness of us, immediately and intimately connected to that is this issue of us forgiving others. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And of course, sin is debt. It is to violate the will of God, be found guilty of violating the will of God, and therefore we owe some form of restitution to God, which we can't pay, which is why Jesus died, because we can't pay it. And so the debt is settled, but it's settled in the blood of Christ. So, as God has forgiven us, so we are to forgive others. Matthew adds this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's a, uh, that's a pretty interesting standard, right? And Jesus says that, and it's right there. It's in black and white. It's like I just kind of pulled that out and made that up. These are the words of Jesus. This genuinely highlights the importance of our forgiveness of each other. We want to be obedient, and so we want to forgive people, and we, our heart may be to forgive people, but the reality is it's tough. I mean, when people offend us, when people perhaps go out of their way, not inadvertently, but deliberately do things to injure us, or to lie about us, or to slander us, or to just make our lives difficult or miserable, um, it can be hard to forgive those folks. And so, on the one hand, it's straightforward. Jesus just says you need to forgive them. But the fact is, the Bible is not silent on why. There are a number of passages, and what we should look at, and we're going to look at this morning, is why we should forgive, and then how to go about forgiving. Now, When we try to be wise in regards to the issue of forgiveness, it's okay to ask, why why is God so insistent that we forgive others? Why why, why exactly is that? Uh, Multiple passages answer that question. One of them is in Luke, Luke chapter 7. We've gone through this, but let's look at it again, Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees said, uh, you know, would you come over to my house and dine with me? And so I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to go through here. You're familiar with the passage. We've, we've gone through all this. So while he's at the Pharisee's house, this woman comes in. She is a woman of ill, rep- Ill repute. This is a woman who, uh, a lady of the evening, as it were, uh, at least she used to be. And she comes in. Uh, she was a uh, sinner. And she learned that Jesus was reclining at the Pharisee's table. Remember, they, they didn't sit at tables, despite Leonardo da Vinci's you know, Last Supper, they, they didn't actually sit in chairs at a table. They, they laid down on an elbow, you know. So 
There, Jesus is lying there and his feet are sticking out. And along comes this woman. She stands behind him and she begins to weep. And the tears flow. And she washes his feet with her tears. And she wipes her, his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee sits there and says um, to himself, you know, if this man were truly a prophet, he would never let this woman touch him. Which prompts this discussion. Jesus, knowing his thoughts, says to him, Simon, I, um, I, I, I'd like to say something to you. Oh, oh, by all means, teacher, please speak, you know. Uh, all right. So there was this money lender. And he had two debtors, and one owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. And they were unable to repay, and he graciously forgave them both. So um, which of them will love him more? The guy owed 500, or the guy owed 50? And, and of course, Simon says, well, I mean, I suppose the one of, to whom he forgave more. To which, of course, Jesus obviously replies, that's correct. You have judged correctly. And turning towards the woman, he said, you know, I entered your house and you gave me no water to even wash my feet. Yet this woman has washed my feet with her tears. And, and you gave me no kiss, but she has kissed my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. I mean, let alone anything else, my feet. You, you didn't even anoint my head. Yet she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But he was forgiven little, loves little. The question that we should ask as we look at this passage is, Simon, this Pharisee, where in the world did you ever get the idea that you were only forgiven a little? What math did you do to make you think that God just forgave you a little bit, that you were actually a pretty good person. Because none of us are. This Pharisee should have recognized that his terrible attitudes, his selfishness, all of the sin that he has is certainly as bad as this woman when compared to God. The standard is not each other. We don't judge according to one another. We judge according to God. And so when we set God as the standard, come to find out, we don't measure up very well. Yet this guy, his problem is pride. His problem is his self-righteousness. He thinks highly of himself. And therefore he looks at this woman and sits in judgment on her. Who in the world does she think she is? What's she even doing in my house? And what is Jesus doing, letting her even touch him? Why, if he were a true prophet, he would have nothing to do with her. You know what Jesus has to do with her? He says it right there. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Here's Jesus' relationship to her. He forgave her. Why? She acknowledged her sin. Simon, eh, mm. Will we see Simon in heaven? Maybe, you know, maybe we won't. It's not quite as clear. We'll definitely see this woman. Jesus is quite upfront that her sins are forgiven. Simon, hmm. So another passage, Peter in Matthew 18. Peter comes to Jesus and has this question. 
This forgiveness question. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Till seven times? I mean, that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees said three. That's it. Three times. If someone does the same sin to you three times, you, you forgive them three times and try to get it straight. Three times. But the fourth time, that's it. Obviously, I don't care how repentant you think you are, you're not repentant at all. And uh, you, you got your three. Tough luck for you. So when Peter comes forward with till seven, I mean, he's, you know, we're, we're getting out there. This is not just twice. This isn't six. I mean, I, I went the full measure all the way to seven. Really, I mean, come on. And of course, we all know the answer of Jesus, right? Not until seven, but until 70 times seven. And the intent here of Jesus is obvious. He's not waiting for Peter to count up 490. You know, we're 487, boy, just wait. You know, uh, Obviously, the idea is just, just forgive. As often as you need to, as often as necessary. Just forgive. There's another passage. Matthew 18. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, his slaves. And when he began to settle them, he got a guy who owed him 10,000 talents. That is an astounding amount of money. It's difficult to translate, you know, ancient sums into current sums because it's hard to turn 1957 dollars into dollars of today with inflation and I, but it's a lot of money it's a lot of money i mean we're talking millions and millions maybe tens of millions this is a huge sum of money and since he didn't have the means to pay his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and kids and i just sell everything the guy's got and uh we assume he, I mean, this is on some of the money, right? Uh, so just sell everything he's got, and we'll, we'll get what we can. If it's pennies on the dollar, it is. And the guy falls to the ground. Prostrate. I mean, he's just, he's just laying on his face. And he says to him, have patience with me, you know, and I'll pay you all. Please. And he's just literally begging. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him from the debt. Just forgave him. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is uh, not, it's not nothing. It's not a dime. It's about three months pay. Um, but it's, it's not 10,000 talents. It's not even close. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him and said, have patience with me and I will repay you. Well, it sounds very familiar because it should, because that's exactly what this guy just got done saying. But he was unwilling. And went and threw him in prison until he should pay back everything that he was owed. What? What's this guy's problem? I'm really, what is this guy's problem? Why would he act like this? We need to, I think, enter into just a little bit, kind of step in and see if we can't get our mind into his mind. Who is this guy? I think this account may tell us slightly more about him than, than you might see at the first reading. Think about this. This guy owes tens of millions of dollars, maybe more. 
Now, I, this, I'm going to ask this question, and you don't, don't raise your hand, uh, you know. But as far as I know, how many of, how many of you seated out there could, could borrow tens of millions of dollars? I certainly could not. There's no bank in the world that's going to, you know, lend me tens of millions of dollars. I don't, I don't have. I don't. There's no collateral I'm coming up with that's going to be able to underwrite tens of millions of dollars. The only kind of person who can actually get in debt for tens of millions of dollars, there's a particular kind of person who can be in debt for tens of millions of dollars. It's a person who is highly esteemed. A person who has a stellar record who clearly is entrusted with this money because it's, it's assumed that they have what it takes to repay it. Now, he's a slave to a king. Okay, kings. Slavery in the ancient world, it, it wasn't at all like slavery that you think about in the South. That was a, an abomination. Slavery in the ancient world was just, they conquered people and made slaves out of them. You would take some of the highly, most highly educated, most accomplished people, and they could end up being slaves. It was just the economics of the day. This was how things worked. So this guy is highly esteemed. Highly esteemed enough that he can end up being in debt for 10,000 talents. Huge amounts of money. This is a guy who, who's prominent. This is a guy who's successful. This is a guy who's responsible. This is a guy who is, has a great reputation. He is held in high regard. And apparently, he has a pretty high regard of himself. He, uh, he, he thinks pretty highly of himself, too. So, when this event occurs, how do you think this went? Do you know people with lots of money? Uh, most, not all, not all. Most of them... <clears throat> Um, well, let's just say that pride is one of those things. Something tells me if I had tens of millions of dollars, I might have an even worse pride problem than I already have. Uh, nothing like having tens of millions of dollars to make you really think highly of yourself. So this guy is now what? Completely humiliated. I mean, talk about humiliation. He has got to literally fall on his face. He has got to beg. He has got to plead. Uh, this, this guy who, I mean, hey, the king entrusts him with tens of thousands, tens of millions of dollars. And, I mean, the, the king has entrusted him with 10,000 talents. But all of a sudden, the, the debt is due. And like everybody else, he's now on his face before the king and totally humiliated. And you can imagine that once... Once he got up off his face, apparently instead of standing up with some level of humility, standing up with, I'm sure he had enormous gratitude. Wow, man, I, phew. But apparently along with that, the relief of, oh, I can't believe I, I actually walked out of there. I owed the king 10,000 talents and I, I, he was going to sell everything I owned. Apparently not just relief. Apparently he walked out of there with a determination. And his determination was what? That is never going to happen to me again. Tell you that right now. That was embarrassing. I am never 
going to be embarrassed like that again. How do we know that? Well, what does it say? He went out and found someone who owed him money. This is like, okay, I am collecting every debt that anyone owes me, and they are going to pay, because there is no way I'm going to stand in front of the king and find myself in that kind of a situation again. So he went out. I mean, that's exactly what it says. He went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And you better pay me what I owe. Why? Because that was embarrassing. And I will not be embarrassed again. I'm not going through that again. You pay me. Grabs him by the throat. You pay me what you owe. Why? Because I'm not going to be embarrassed. And of course, his fellow slave falls down and says, have mercy with me and I'll pay you. No. This is the point of the entire account. The point of the account is, and, and we'll look at it here. So he goes back, his fellow slave saw what happened. They're like, oh, this, this is not good. I mean, look at this guy. The king forgave him and now he's running around to everybody else. And he's, he's getting money from everybody else. And they reported to their Lord all that had happened. And he summons him back in there. He says, you wicked slave. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? In the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. The king is... Obviously, God, and He's enormously gracious. And He's gracious not just to this guy. That's the whole point. It's not just the guy that owes him 10,000 talents. He's gracious to him. But when this guy goes out and harasses another servant, the king is like, Look, I gave you grace to spread around. You were supposed to spread the mercy around. I didn't just give this to you just because it's you. This guy turned it into himself. It's all about me. I got forgiven, but I'm forgiven anybody else. I have this special relationship with the king after all. <clears throat> he forgave me. I'm sure about the rest of you, but he forgave me. Okay, uh, no, 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 no. The king is trying to show you how, this is how you act. This is what you do. This is how this goes. This is the example. This is the template. You've been forgiven your debt, and so you should forgive other people their debt. That's the, that's the point. The problem is that instead of humility, it, when we have difficulty forgiving people, why is that? How dare you treat me like that? Sorry to put too fine a point on it. But that's what it comes down to, right? That is the attitude that oftentimes gets in the way of our ability to forgive others. The reason this account is in here to show us that having received forgiveness, what should characterize us is humble gratitude. When someone offends us, instead of coming back with, how dare they treat me like that? Who in the world do they think they are to act like that towards me? Uh, 
what we ought to say is, uh, it's hard for me to um, take them acting like that, but the fact is, if we were to list the things that I've done to God, my list against God is, they haven't done anything to me like what I've done to God. And so, I look at my relationship to God and I look at what God has forgiven and I look at the sins in my life that God has overlooked and that God has forgiven and I know who I am in my heart and I know who I am to the depths of my soul and God has forgiven me to the depths of my heart and soul. And so, you know, I am willing to forgive others. Jesus goes on in that Matthew passage after he just got stunned giving that, that statement, you know, where the, where the king calls the guy in and says, send him over to the, to the torturers until he pays it all. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 35, my heavenly father also will do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. To whom much is given, much is required, right? This guy owed 10,000 talents, and he was given forgiveness of 10,000 talents. And so he is to, having been given much, much is expected of him. You certainly ought to be able to forgive someone who owes you 300 denarii. And it's nothing compared to 10,000 talents. You should be forgiving. This is what it is to be believers, to take the grace that God has extended to us and give it to others. This is what it is to act godly, because this is how God acts. God forgave us, and we are to be ambassadors of God, and so we are to forgive others. Not, not, this is not a matter of, of there not being any consequences. I, I know the question immediately arises. You're like, well, wait a minute. And I do you realize what people have actually done? You know, I, I, we say that. Like, if you only knew what people really did to me and you want me to just forgive them? Um, well, okay. There's two, I, I want to be clear here. There's two kinds of forgiveness that the scriptures speak about. There's the judicial forgiveness in which when we believe that Jesus died for us and gave his, his own life for us, and we, by faith, repent of our sin and trust Christ, then we are completely forgiven and put into the family of God. That is a judicial forgiveness. Our sins are wiped away. We are righteous in the sight of God. But there's also relational forgiveness. And those are two separate things. Uh, Peter, remember when, when Jesus comes around at the Last Supper and is washing everybody's feet, and Peter's like, oh, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, look, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Peter's like, well, if you're going to do that, then wash me from head to toe. Jesus is like, no, I, you know, you're, you're already clean. I mean, that, the relationship between us is already there. But there is a daily cleansing. There is this relational forgiveness. This is what, in the, in the passage in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. There is a relationship that we have with God. Sanctification is the process by which we strive to grow closer to God. We strive to walk into the light. We strive to get closer to God. The light gets brighter the closer we are to God. And the brighter the light shines, the more we begin to see our sin. When you first get saved, particularly if you were an adult, the older you were when you got saved, 
there's a, there's a honeymoon, as it were, period, where there are just huge sins. I mean, if, if, you've, got, if you've got just a, a terrible immoral mouth, I mean, you just, every other word is just some four-letter curse word. And, and maybe you've got any number of just horrific habits that you have developed. And, uh, you know, they're just these really big, obvious sins. They're one of the reasons why you didn't want to come to Christ in the first place. You looked at those sins and thought, if I ever became a Christian, I'd have to quit doing this stuff. But once the gospel actually enters into your heart and you truly believe, suddenly you hate those sins. I mean, it's like you step over this line, you're like, why in the world would I ever want to be that person? What was I thinking? And so there's this oftentimes enormous transformation. And you think, wow, this is great. And of course it is. Then you're a Christian for a while and you suddenly realize that, you know, like an onion. If you buy onions in the store, on the outside are these brown you know, the outside skins of the onions, it's two, three layers, it's all brown and, and crinkly, and, you know, you, you take it all off, and you, you know, that's that. that. That's those huge, big sins that we all had. But come to find out, there are more sins. There are sins that, well, the closer you get to God, the more you begin to realize it's sin all the way to the bone. It is sin to the depths of our hearts. Come to find out our, our very pride, sin, our self-assurance, our self-centeredness, our, our belief that we can be good evaluators of what's right and wrong without checking the scriptures. The, the, there is so uh, uh, anger. When do you really get mad? I mean, think about it. When do you get mad? When you don't get your way, doesn't we get mad? How dare they treat you like that? That's, that's pride. Our pride problem goes right to the core of who we are. The sin, the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve was the lie that you can create your own world. You can become a god. You can fashion the world according to your vision. You can decide what's right and wrong for yourself. You can mold the world around yourself. Well, we spend our lives doing that. Some people more overtly than others. But we all kind of want the world to conform to us. Why do you think your marriage is so much fun? Because the husband's got his idea how this ought to go, and the wife's got her idea how this ought to go, and there's a big contest over whose worldview is going to actually get implemented here. Well, this is how it ought to be. No, no, this is how it ought to be. And the way, of course, to resolve that, by the way, is you have to get to this place where each side is willing to kindly, graciously forgive and accommodate and be kind to one another. This, but it is entrenched in us. If you've had children, you know this. You look at your kids. Your kids will adopt all kinds of things. And, of course, as adults, we just refine them a little better and hide them better. But we're all trying to get what we want. This is sin. We should be trying to get what God wants. Our lives should be an attempt to become more and more like God. Sanctification is this process by which we get closer to God. 
And we understand who God is, and we understand our own sin, and we see our own sin in a brighter and brighter light, and we recognize just how sinful we are, and, and we come to God, and it is a never-ending process to come to God and ask him to please once more, would you be kind and gracious and forgive us? And that is the attitude we need to bring to one another. This is the spirit with which we engage each other. If you're familiar with the name Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India. She was there and actually for 55 years and never took a furlough. Uh, just a great, great servant of God. And she wrote a, a very interesting quote in this regard. She said this, If I take offense easily, if I am content, content to continue in cold unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we don't gather with kindness and forgiveness and compassion to one another. But this is what we are called to. The prodigal son, good example. When the prodigal son said, I want my inheritance, he was a son. The father gave him his inheritance. He took it all and headed off to the far country and discovered what everyone who heads off to the far country discovers. When you get over there and you begin to engage in riotous living, the other people who are engaging in riotous living with you, well, this is, these people are all characterized by a similar attitude, which is, great, let's live for ourselves. And, of course, as soon as his money ran out and he found himself in hardship, he discovered that all those people who were all living for themselves certainly weren't there to take care of him. That's how that all goes. Be careful about living like that. And so he finally awakens and says, oh, my goodness, I, you know, my father has servants. I'm, I'm sitting here. I, I'm ready to eat the food I'm feeding to the pigs because I'm so hungry. I will arise and go to my father and confess to him that I, I'm not even worthy to be your son. I'll just be one of the slaves. I, I don't care, just so long as I get food. And, of course, when he gets back, guess what? He is still a son. This is this view of our relational forgiveness and our judicial forgiveness. He's still a son, and God is still going to take great care of him. But there are consequences, right? It's it's not like when when the father finally dies, the prodigal is not going to get another third of what's left. He got his third. The elder brother got, because he was the elder brother, got two-thirds, and the younger brother got a third. And, you know, the, the eldest always got a double portion. As far as we know, there's only the two of them. So when his dad died, uh, you know, the prodigal, uh, there, there are consequences here. He probably ends up working for his older brother. If he can't find a job someplace else. Uh, but he is welcome back into the family. We do put the ring on him and kill the fatted calf and put the robe on him and rejoice that he has returned. Because his son was dead and is now alive. And and there's great rejoicing. But he's not going to get another third of the inheritance in this life. There are consequences to the things that we do. Forgiveness is not a license to sin. Forgiveness does not allow us to to just go out and do whatever we want and say, well, don't worry, it's okay, God is gracious, he'll forgive us. I've watched people do that. Probably some of you have too. I know a particular dear young lady. Just, just a wonderful young girl. She was early 20s, and um, she went to church all of her life and ended up having um, some guy who had had a terrible marriage, a little older, 
um, just bitter and angry towards his wife, divorced her, put her away, and then pursued this young girl. And multiple people went to her and like, you really, this is not a good situation. And she's like, oh, we're just friends, we're just friends, we're just friends, we're getting married. You know, I mean, that's how that went, right? She wasn't fooling anybody. Everybody saw the trajectory of how this was going to go. And she actually said to me, as I implored her, please do not do this. She's like, well, God is gracious. Even if this is the wrong decision, even if it's clear that I shouldn't marry this guy, God will forgive me. She regretted that statement greatly, by the way. It, it, she had many, many, many very sorrowful years before he finally just divorced her, too. Um, David committed the sin of Bathsheba. Now, Nathan gives him the story about, you know, the two shepherds and the guy with the two sheep, you know, and, and how the guy with lots and lots and lots of sheep kills the, you know. Nathan's like, you're forgiven, but there will be consequences. The child will die. So when we think about forgiveness, we don't want to just take for granted. Oh, God will forgive me. Yes, yes, he will. But that doesn't mean that, there, that we can in any way act irresponsibly here. If someone is convicted of embezzlement, no matter how good they are with numbers, we're not going to make them the treasurer of the church. You know, that's just, just, it's not a good idea, right? There are other ministries they can do. They're not second-class citizens forever in the kingdom of God. But, you know, if embezzlement was your thing, we're not going to... Uh, put you in charge of the church's finances. There, there are ministries for which you can disqualify yourself. It's not that we don't forgive you. We, we forgive you, but there are consequences to, to sin. So how do we, how do we really get this attitude that will allow us to forgive people who have genuinely hurt us? I mean, they, they have. And, and everybody's seated in this room. You've had people hurt you. You have people that, maybe, maybe your anger, maybe you have not really dealt with this, and your anger has grown to the place where you've, you've maybe even some bitterness. I mean, you've gotten to the place where you're just not, you're not just mad at them, you're kind of just mad at life. You're just kind of mad. How do we get rid of this root of bitterness? How do we, how do we let this go? How do we finally just get to the place where we just give it to God, genuinely, and leave it there? How do we do that? Because, I mean, do you know what they did to me, right? I mean, that is, okay, what we have to do is recognize, if that's what we're telling ourselves, you have to stop telling yourself that. What have we done to God? And the fact is that if we just hold on to this, if you just hold on to your, your anger and your outrage and your and your belief that somehow you deserve to be treated better. Okay, how's that going, by the way? How's that working out? Chances are pretty good how that's working out is you're just, you probably got a long list of people you're mad at, I'm, I'm betting. In fact, you may discover that you're pretty much mad at everybody. Actually, could really go down to the list. Um, well, you know, now that you mention it, yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of people you're mad at. Why? Well, you can't forgive. Once you can't forgive, you can't forgive. It doesn't matter. Anybody you get next to. And let's face it, we're all sinners. So everyone you get next to eventually is going to do something to make you angry. And you're not going to forgive them either. And before you know it, you're mad at your kids, you're mad at your parents, you're mad at your neighbors, you're mad at, you're mad at everybody. You're just mad at everybody. 
You know, maybe at that point you might want to wonder if there's a common denominator in all of this and it's the person in the mirror. And so what we need to do is we need to see God at work in our life. I mean, look at, and, and I know that this is, this is one of those passages we're really familiar with, but we've got to get it in this context. Look at Joseph. They sold him into slavery. You know, when you study the Old Testament and you study the issue of polygamy, and you might think, well, polygamy happens in the Old Testament all the time. Yeah, it does, but it's never advocated. And if you want a really clear, as if there weren't any, I, there's no happy polygamous relationship in the Old Testament, by the way. Nobody's happy about it. But if you want a really clear one, when you look at the 12 sons of Jacob, you know, we might have difficulty naming all 12 of them, let alone figuring out exactly who's the son of who. But let me tell you something. They knew. Oh, they knew. They knew exactly who they were the son of. They were all the son of Jacob, but they knew who their mom was. And it created enormous rivalry. And Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, and Joseph was the firstborn of his favorite wife. And you think that didn't create craziness in his brothers? Of course it did. And so when the moment came to sell him into slavery, they did it. Why? They just were jealous. They, they, terrible motives. All of that comes to an end, and, you know, he gets them all down there in Egypt, and, you know, just cut this quick here to the end. His father finally dies, and his brothers get together, and they're like, oh, boy. He's only been nice to us because Dad was still alive, but now that Dad has died, I mean, he's second only to Pharaoh. All he's got to do is say the word. He can prison all of us. So they send someone to him to say, hey, Dad said before he died that you should forgive us. And when Joseph gets the message, he, he weeps. And he gets together with his brothers. And he's like, guys, am I in the place of God? Who am I to hold you guys accountable for what you did? Now, I know you meant it for evil, but look what God did. Look where we are. God allowed me to be second only to Pharaoh and to rescue the whole nation, the family, you guys. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You're forgiven. We're letting this go. Joseph is not an angry, bitter, unforgiving guy. Nor should we be. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is how we give forgiveness. We look at what God has done for us. And I mean, what kind of, what do you want? The alternative? Bitterness and anger and resentment. And I mean, you can't sleep at night and you just sit around and stew. And, and any time you get a spare moment, all you can do is just ruminate one more time on all these people you're so mad at and what they've done. Let it go. Let it go. Quit letting these people live in your head. Let it go. Maybe they meant evil. Maybe they did deliberately set out. Maybe they really were determined to make your life miserable. And maybe they did for a time. Okay, so what? God used that to refine us. God used that to make us pray harder. 
God used that to make us draw closer to him. God used that to cause us to look to God and say, okay, Lord, um, you, you take care of those folks who are my enemies and who knows, I'm not sure I'm the best judge of exactly who's right and wrong in this situation anyway. And, you know, so you do whatever you think is appropriate to do to them and do whatever you think is appropriate to do to me. But I'm going to love you and serve you and, and trust that you're just going to use all of that to bring about your honor and glory anyway. That's how we forgive. This is why it's essential. The world is watching us. They shall know that we are Christians by the love we have for one another. We forgive one another. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, what do you mean taking one another to court? And that before the world, shouldn't you just take the offense? What do you mean better to just take the offense? This is what forgiveness looks like. And by the way, God is the one who forgives. The ultimate forgiver is God. We are his ambassadors. How are you going to be an ambassador for God if you can't forgive people? This is why it's so essential that we be kind and compassionate and forgiving and we let it go. Why? Because that's who God is. That's who God is. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you forgive us. We are so undeserving of your forgiveness. Lord, when we look into who we are in our hearts and we look into our own selfishness, self-centeredness, our own desire to see the world work out for our benefit and not yours, Lord, why in the world would you forgive any of us? And yet you do. May that renew us. May that bring out of our hearts rivers of living water, rivers of forgiveness, of compassion, of kindness, of gentleness, tenderness, of a willingness to just put aside, let the hurts wash away. May we forgive. May that characterize us as you have forgiven us. We pray in your son's dear, precious name. Amen.